Hello, everyone, and welcome to the OMF Mindfulness in the Workplace podcast series. Each of these sessions explores a different aspect of mindfulness in a variety of workplace contexts, as well as key themes that we believe will be relevant to support you. Previous episodes have covered research in the workplace and mindfulness in medical settings. So do make sure you go back and listen to them if you haven't already done so. I'm Susan Peacock from the University of Oxford Mindfulness Foundation. And today we are going to be discussing how mindfulness can impact change leadership. I'm delighted to introduce Lottie Roberts, who is joining us from Wellington in New Zealand. Hi there. <laughs> um, just so lovely to connect with you, Lottie. Um, Lottie and I first met when she joined our OMF Mindfulness in the Workplace program as a participant of the first cohort, and meeting her has been an utter joy. As well as having worked and changed leadership for the past 25 years, she's a mother of three young sons, was an elite runner, and is a yoga teacher. So a very dynamic, varied, and full life. <laughs> Acknowledging that we live in a fast-paced, complex world with many distractions, Lottie is passionate about creating truly human workplace environments where people can thrive, transforming from the inside out, enabling individuals, teams, and leaders to focus on what really matters. So Lottie, I'd love to hear a bit about your journey. You're working as a, a change consultant. How does mindfulness become a part of, of you and what you do? Thank you. Um, and thank you for that lovely intro. It's been a, been a real joy to work with you and be on that course, which was amazing. So um, thank you so much for having me. Um, so how did mindfulness come into my story and how did it kind of, you know, how did I, um, from being a change consultant? So um there's I guess the short version is is around 12 years ago I found myself um I was in I was a corporate leader I um, was on maternity leave um I was also a competitive runner at the time and I was a new mum someone who was very much striving in their career um you know very putting myself to my pushing my body to high standards as a as an athlete and really that's kind of a perfect mix perfect storm mm. for where I found myself which was physically and mentally burnt out um I actually did get physical injury I had some um injury going on with my uh, hips and my pelvis that was leading to a lot of chronic pain that they didn't really know what was going on and then I also found myself I know now with um, postnatal depression so for somebody who's always had like lots like a plan and like been very good at following steps I found myself in a state that I didn't think I would be in and was in counseling and the, my counselor actually said to me have you have you heard of mindfulness and I was like what's that then <laughs> I literally didn't really know what oh. mindfulness was like this would be 12 13 years ago and actually went through the eight-week mindfulness-based stress reduction course to help with chronic pain and this kind of feeling of anxiety and overwhelm that I was feeling as a new mum at the time. And um, it did indeed help me, uh, no end. Um, but what I actually also found when I went back to work, that I started to show up quite differently as a leader as well. And um, 
that brought me to practice mindfulness on an individual level. But as I started practicing mindfulness on an individual level, I started to see how this could be really beneficial in the work that I was doing, which was all around change. And I was individually trying to navigate change and coming up with some problems, which mindfulness was helping me with. So I could see how this could help, you know, corporates, um, workplaces manage change, which is always a little bit tricky, mm. why they needed people like myself to come in and help them. Mm. Mm. Wonderful. So a real sense of it came from the inside and then kind of rippled out. Um, lovely. Wonderful. Um, and how did you then bring mindfulness and change management together in this workplace context? Yeah, so it didn't happen overnight. I think just as the practice of mindfulness is a little bit like a drip, 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 and then we start to see how it um, was. It who one of the um, teachers actually at the Oxford Mindfulness Foundation says that mindfulness doesn't come in through the front door; it seeps up through the yeah. floorboards. Yeah. And I think there is definitely yes, there's definitely a case of that going on. Um, so I I. So I started to see there was this connection in terms of how I was turning up as a leader. And then as I learned more about the practice of mindfulness, and I do want to say it's not like I went on an eight week course and then I was this amazing student that meditated for like 40 minutes a day every day. I was kind of like going in and out of the practice. Um, but then I got to a point where I was I decided that I wanted to leave the corporate world. And I knew that would be something to do with bringing and, and deepen my mindfulness practice. I knew there would be something around bringing the teachings of mindfulness and my background and change together. And mm. when I, in terms of what made me think about that was, if you think about, again, on an individual level, how mindfulness can help us. And there's this, um, that the fact that everything is impermanent and that we struggle with that and that everything changes around us all the time. And we we just want certainty we want things to be known we want to have a plan and that we struggle with that well if you look at some of the th challenges that face organizations they would love for things to be pretty constant you know if they they don't want the 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 world around them changing too much that it's going to impact their business and yet they have to adapt to these waves of change and so I could see how practice like mindfulness that could help me on an individual level can actually the same the problems are there they're exactly the same on a systematic level in an organization so this started me to get how do I put this in a language how do I start to bring these together in a way that brings this practice of mindfulness into workplaces and teaches people to navigate change um, on a corporate on a business on a workplace level and that's really how my business started. You know, I created Mind You. It really came from starting to look at that. I'd, I'd left the um, the corporate world and I remember I was literally only a few weeks out and I had a friend contact me and say, oh, I hear you've, you've left. I was in the banking industry. I hear you've left, um, you know, banking. We've got a group of leaders and we wondered if you come in and talk to them about like navigating change. It's in 10 days. And that's literally how the business started. And I was like, uh, yeah, sure, but I'm going to do it my way. And oh. I, I was going to talk about mindfulness and change, putting it together. And they just loved it. And that's kind of how it started. Oh. I've got a saying that 
change and um, change management and mindfulness go together like cheese and crackers because yeah. they literally do once you start to learn more about the methods and how they can overlap yeah wow and you know that that saying mindfulness is not taught it's caught feels very much that's what you embodied people sensed something that you'd gone through had had a huge impact and then you were starting to consider how does this impact teams organizations the culture wonderful um so what does mindfully navigating and leading through change look and feel like and then my second part to that question is how do you support organizations to do this it's a big question mm. <laughs> and I'll try my best there's, there's so much there um so I think the first thing is you know mindfully navigating change in a in an organization is looking at change on a more holistic level rather than change by change looking at how you approach change overall so um this means like my, oh, oh, honoring a mindset of change, honoring the emotions. You know, when we look at our, again, how change impacts us on an individual level, we look at the emotions, the impulses, the thought patterns that come out. It's very much, it's not like, give me a plan. It's like mm. in exploring the inner landscape and the mindset. So this is something that organizations, this human-centered change, as I call it, which is about actually exploring, you know, what is the culture like? What's the mindset currently? What is the, what's coming up for people through change? Um, also looking at it from more of an adaptive rather than a tactical approach mm. um, we love our lists our plans our Gantt charts almost like certainty within the uncertainty of those lists whereas actually it's um, being able like how can we create agility and that adaptive that is, isn't that adaptive challenge um, and then looking at how you can um, I guess, rather than something that's very particular about change, this is something most organizations are trying to optimize. They're trying to get a process and get it so efficient that it's sort of manufactured down to the bare bones. You can't do that with change. Mm -hmm. there, is, there is a patience and an unfolding that is actually part of it. And if you try to deny that, so mindfully navigating through change is honoring the mindset, honoring the emotions, exploring what lies underneath the surface, mm. you know, um, the different perspectives, what's come before, scar tissue from the past. Um, a saying that I have is, is change is a way of being rather than a way of doing, like the being is first. Like how is it just part of how you roll? How do you get it kind of built into the DNA of the organizations? In terms of how I approach it, um, from a leadership point of view, a lot of self-awareness. So getting people to sort of say, how do, how do you as a leader, how do you react to change? Like think of, you know, typically when change hits you if from a work point of view or from outside of work, what do you notice about yourself? What comes up? When you've gone through a change that's gone well or you've been led through it well, what kind of attributes and attitudes do you notice in your leader or the person that helped you through versus when it was hard? I've got this little um, uh, exercise I do called bad boss, best boss or worst boss, best boss, <laughs> where they kind of <laughs> brainstorm and they're not allowed to mention any names, no naming and shaming, but you know, the attributes. Yeah. Um, so you're really getting this sort of tuning in to go on. So we're getting, I'm getting leaders, organizations to tune in to what's actually there. What's mm -hmm. the psychological safety like? Is there trust? 
And so another big thing that leaders can do is, is really work on building trust and then effective communication, knowing that communication is really about sending and receiving. It's mm. about dialogue rather than just sending out some comms. Mm. So pause there because there's actually a lot in what I just oh. said. <laughs> no, I mean, Lottie, what you've just said is so helpful because this can be quite a daunting subject. You know, what is change leadership all about and what is you know, mindfulness's role in it. And the way you've just described it to me really brings it to the essence because it's, it's as I hear what you're saying, it's foundational capacities. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. as Jamie Bristow talks about, and it's how do you start with an individual? How do you connect with that? How does that then build? And to create these cultures, you're thinking of mindfulness and coming back, you know, coming home to who you are that safe space. And in a way, that's exactly what you're describing in an organization. Yeah. And, you know, if you then tie that in, because you can you can cut and dice so many different ways and still come up back to the same results. So if you think about what your organization stands for in terms of its organizational values, mm-hmm. you know, what's really important, how is the change that's coming around? How is that supporting that? How's that building into that? Are you role modeling? I talk a lot about role modeling, tailwind or headwind behaviors. Like a tailwind behavior is something that's a tailwind for the change. The change may be hard or not a hard change, but as a leader, if you're role modeling these tailwind behaviors, it's going to help push it through. The headwind behaviors are more like the attitudes and attributes that are going to provide literally that that headwind. And at its deepest level, um, how I present it to organizations is so like, the one thing you're trying to achieve, no matter what the design of what the the change is in terms of, is it a widget you've designed or is it a culture change or is it um, a new product? What you're trying to achieve as a leader is connection through change. So connection on a level to yourself. What are you noticing about yourself? How are you showing up? How are you connecting with your people? How are you getting them to connect to the change? How are you connecting to this bigger piece? So if you can just bring it back constantly, mm. am I creating or disabling connection? I think that in itself brings a lot of aha moments to leaders. Oh, oh. Lovely. And again, you know, those core ideas of mindfulness being about an integrated system mm-hmm. and that, yeah. that idea of connection. Oh, wow, Lottie, just really powerful. Um, so another question, what are the current obstacles and barriers to successfully navigating change and uncertainty that you see in the workplace? Hmm, this is a juicy question. <laughs> um, it's like when I sort of rub my, rub my hands together, like, okay, so where do I start? Um, I think it's interesting because when I was looking at um, my thoughts, you know, when I was preparing for the interview and thinking about this question, what I noticed as I was coming, I was sort of kind of thinking about what my response would be is they actually all link into each other. Like the points I'll go through, you should see how they will see there are a little bit of an ecosystem. So um, the first thing I think around barriers, obstacles, um, and indeed uncertainties ticks all the boxes is kind of like volume. Like there is there is a, a great deal of volume. Um, Something that I often put on up as a slide is um, there's this uh, 
It's, I think it's called The Critical Path of Innovation by a guy called Buckminster Fuller. Have you, have you heard of Buckminster? No, I haven't. Um, and well, and so it's all, it has on this side, it's got kind of like years, certain, certain years. So it will have like um, Renaissance period or 1930s, et cetera. And against the years, it's got a, a period of time. So it will have like 50 years, 30 years, three months, six weeks, and then it gets to current day and it's got question mark. And I ask people, what is this? And what it actually is, is how often a critical innovation to mankind civilization came up. And as obviously we've gone through time, we've got, it's got quicker, like there's less and less time. And the question mark now, I say to them, how long do you think it is now? And they guess, and I go, nobody knows. It's like literally all the time. It's mm. constant now, the critical innovation that's coming up. And so volume is something. So to keep up as an organization, you've got a lot of volume. Then you've got stuff coming on from the outside, external, you know, we've got things like climate change, political changes, you know, all of that unknown. So there's a lot of volume in terms of change. Um, and then also driving volume is expectations. I think our expectations, you know, we are a finite, people are a finite resource. Mm. We only have so much time and energy we can't keep getting more and more. So, you know, working hours have gone up. People are getting more burnt out because volume's going up, expectation is going up. And then on top of that, there is a lack of prioritization. Mm -hmm. So everything is seen as a priority. Well, you can't have 100 number one priorities. So that lack of um, prioritization is also meaning a lack of clarity of what matters most. And so everybody's working on everything or trying to multitask, oh. which we know is a myth or a lie that we tell ourselves we're doing, yeah. but actually it's not happening, which distills the efficiency of focusing on some things. We don't let go. So we bring new stuff into the organization. And, I, you know, I talk about change being three forces. It's made up of creation, preservation and destruction. Well, we don't destroy anything. We keep oh. doing the same stuff and the new things. Um, and then obviously from a mindset point of view, there is this resistance, which is to a certain degree subconscious. We, at a very primal level, humans see change as a threat, usually. Um, it doesn't, you know, the, the nervous system doesn't really know the difference between a change in job role or potentially a change in boss to a rustle in the bushes that could be something coming to eat you your primal level still sees it as a stress or a threat, which we don't honor. And so we're not honoring the emotions and making it safe for people maybe to say, I am overwhelmed or I am stressed. Um, so this is this culture of burnout, which is oh. sitting within all of those that I just mentioned. And as you see, they are like a little ecosystem almost. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Uh, and I think as well as it happening you know, in the environment around us, the way we live our lives is fueling it from within. So you've got this kind of perfect storm. And I it might have been through the emotional culture deck, actually. One of the, the emotions that I think comes up really often is that of feeling overwhelmed. Overwhelmed, yes. Um, so I ran a lot of workshops around emotional culture. How do you want to feel and not feel to be successful in your role? And I, I put that question to people during change you know mm -hmm. how do you want to feel 
Mm. And how do you not want to feel, but you realize you might. And um, every single workshop, because people do it on an individual level and then they agree as a team and sometimes mm. as an organization mm. and we build this kind of canvas for change and overwhelm and if, is on every single canvas I've ever done. You know, and it, it's, there's a lot of, the note we use the emotional culture deck, which is this mm. tool that provides emotional literacy. You have a all of um, the, emo- you can see there's lots of different emotions there to choose from. So you've got emotional granularity, mm. um, but yeah, overwhelm. And it's interesting because John Kabat-Zinn, um, I believe has that defin- of definition of overwhelm being life is unfolding at a pace our mind and body can't keep up with or something along those lines. And we try to go faster, but literally the only thing that you can do in response to overwhelm is the most counterintuitive thing to do, which is to stop, to pull. Slow down. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I literally had to do that today. I was telling you before the the interview, I'm preparing a big um, program of work at the moment and it's been taking up a lot of my mind space. And I got to the point where I was like, I actually need to go for a walk. Just <laughs> and how you know how incredibly we we teach this, and yet you're sitting working, you're excited by what you're doing, and you think, well, I'll just do a little bit more. No, I need to get up. And when you get up and go for a walk and come back, it's just so much better. Everything then flows. So mm-hmm. to that, as you say, that pause, that moment of choice. And then you can engage in a far more skillful, far more effective way. Um, Which is why the connection is so important, because it's only through being connected to go, wow, I'm I'm overwhelmed right now. What's the most useful thing for me to do? And and knowing that. And um, if we don't, if we're in this busyness, this busy loop, which a lot of organizations are, they're often busying them way towards something that's actually not the most important thing oh. or creating this systemic burnout or people are leaving and they're not sure why um if they just stop if they just stop for or create space then they're more likely to get real wisdom and insight to move forward mm. in a better way mm. it's that lovely victor frankel quote between stimulus and response there's a space and in that space lies your freedom and your power um yeah yeah um so what practical tips would you give to workplaces on how to manage their way to change Mm, so um practical tips some of them we've covered already um but they're worth mentioning again so I just on what we were saying a moment ago about space and stopping, mm-hmm. I think actively, like proactively looking to build space in an organization for people on an individual level. You know, we we fill our diaries like a Tetris game on ninja level. You know, if there's a space here, it gets filled up with a meeting or people need more space to one, just kind of digest what they're getting in terms of information and um, also in terms of being able that thinking and reflection time and also to decompress. So there's literally no space, no breathing mm. space mm. whatsoever. Um, I do think that is a really important thing. And tied to that is looking like I actively ask leaders and organizations to say, what are you going to stop? 
What mm. are you going to let go of? If you are trying to change and move forward quickly with agility and you're not letting go of stuff and stopping stuff, it's literally like trying to sprint holding a parachute behind you mm. or this kind of unnecessary drag. Um, building change, the capability of change into the DNA of how the organization works. So not necessarily bringing in change managers and change consultants when there's a change on. I think my belief is that every leader needs to have, you know, change leadership capability part of is a core part of their role. It's not something they do on the side of their desk. Yeah. It should be front and center. But every person in an organization, there's a there's a movie called Jerry Maguire and he has this moment where he comes in and says show me the money and I said my nirvana in an organization that does change well is people come in and go show me the change (laughs) (laughs) you know gets the point across Um, honoring the emotions of change uh, or just honoring emotions and mindset full stop in any organization whether you know there's changes going on anyway just because it change literally is the new black it's here to stay Um, But honoring the emotions, making it okay for people to talk about how they're feeling and knowing that unpleasant emotions are part of it. And if you try to ignore them or, you know, squash them, I love the saying that um, if you don't turn turn into or deal with unpleasant emotions, they go to the gym and they lift weights. (laughs) And this is what happens during change. unpleasant emotions with change resistance also understanding that change resistance isn't personal so I think explore what's under the cover of change resistance it's normally scar tissue from past changes that have gone on that maybe they just need you know some closure it's it tends to be something that's very personal to the individual I think a lot of change leaders take resistance very personally but it's actually not personal to them um other things I've got is actually something in terms of going when we talk about mindfulness we have this kind of uh part of my teacher training was talking about attention intention and um attention yeah I think these three are very important to kind of focus on in terms of practical tips um are you you know what kind of practices have you got in the organization to help people to focus their attention so they're not know bouncing around it could be really simple little things like having um check-ins at the start of the meeting to give people time to just pause and focus rather than their mind being in the last meeting Mm. Um, rituals to keep people grounded and present when change is going on it's really good to have the consistency of some really good rituals that are always the same through Mm. change Mm -hmm. And um, also being really intentional um, and clear about what matters most, but also being prepared to flex because things change within change. You know, changes just because it's change, it's not in a vacuum for all other changes around it. It's impacted by other things. So um, a few things to think about there. (laughs) Wow, Lottie. And what is so clear in what you say is just seeing how mindfulness is just so woven in it's so integral to this process of change at at so many levels in so many ways and as you said earlier you know it's it's not complex but there's a lot of complexity it's kind of lots of, of different aspects and keeping it simple weaving in these habits 
acknowledging the power of emotions, noticing what we don't like, how do we work with that rather than shy away? Um, what a rich discussion. What I'd love to ask you is a question that we ask all our guests, which is what top tip would you share with people wanting to offer mindfulness in the context of the workplace, specifically in relation to change leadership? Um, so my top tip would be to really understand the context of the business that you're going into, the challenges, the language that they use, and talk to them and present mindfulness in a way that actually is their language and speaks to their challenges. Um, you know, it can be very easy to just talk in, if, you, if you've maybe learned a mindfulness-based stress reduction, um, you know, to teach that. If I was just to go in and talk in that language about change, that I'd, I'd lose them. Mm -hmm. So something that's been really beneficial to me is that I really understand the business setting, like understand what are keeping these leaders awake at night. What are the barriers that they mm -hmm. face? What does stop them from using their common sense? Because you know, change is common sense, but common sense is not common practice yeah. Yeah, for yeah, many yeah. of us humans yeah. now with all our distractions. <laughs> so um often what i'll do is i will use what i call a trojan horse um to be able to speak about mindfulness in a workplace setting um for change but actually but you know because it's not just change that i look at i do a lot of work around emotional culture um resilience well-being um so if if i'm because mindfulness has often a reputation within organizations as just being a health and safety or well-being mm -hmm. tick and they can't see that actually, if you adopt this from literally a holistic systematic level, the benefits just are so generative um, and keep going. So I, for example, the emotional culture deck, which is a tool that I use, was something that is really resonates with leaders. They like a tool, they they it, but it was a way for me to get mindfulness into the organization. Oh. You know, so having a conversation saying, how do you need to feel to be successful and getting them to choose what emotions, the self-interest is there, which for most people, no matter how selflessness we believe we are, there is there is that spark there. And for leaders, they could start to see how it would benefit them if they feel like that, their people are mm. feeling like that. So try to find some kind of Trojan horse, something that if you understand their language, if you understand their challenges or their opportunities, then that opening, you know, can create a way for you to get across all the generative benefits that mindfulness has to offer. Mm, mm. Beautifully described. Thank you. Well, I know I've learned a huge amount today. I mean, I've just so enjoyed this conversation and I feel incredibly energized and excited. And it's what we need. You know, we are navigating change, as you were saying earlier, at a pace quite unlike anything before. So it's, it's really embracing this and, and engaging with something that we know helps us and, and mindfulness is that key ingredient. Um, so thank you so much for your time and look forward to connecting again very soon. Um, oh, thank you so much. Great. Yeah, I've, I've really enjoyed the conversation and to oh. connect with you again, which is always a treat. Lovely. Thank you. So to all our listeners, we hope you have also really enjoyed our discussion. 
and we look forward to seeing you again for the next episode.